Kaya, Kaya, are you okay? You left us for a moment. You look a little faint. Are you okay? It's claustrophobic down here. I hoped it wouldn't happen again, especially if I were on a ladder or hanging out over some magma chasm. Time to get to work. You know why we have come. You want us to release the Watchers, although we don't know why you need our help or what you expect us to do that you can't do by yourselves. Unless... Unless... Unless this is some kind of suicide mission and you think we're expendable. You are far from expendable, at least to us. And we believe the Great Ones will reward you for coming to their aid. If you refuse or fail, we will find others who will complete the task. But it will be so much easier, and certainly less painful for you if you simply cooperate. Then a reward rather than wrath may come to you. Why should it not? after you have done all the work. The Watchers are enclosed in a cavern of stone below us, correct? I was stalling for time. Yes. And you need a way to get through this rock. Why can't you just blast through it? You're into mining, after all. Surely you know how to blast through even really hard rock. Would the Watchers get hurt? You think rock projectiles could hurt the Great Ones? Repent your blasphemy! Sheesh! No, it's you and us who would get hurt. Our bodies would suffer from a blast. Correct. If we blast through the rock while we are in the vicinity, we will get hurt. So, what's the plan? Patience. It is gratifying to watch you, our students, put the pieces together yourselves. You want to keep the Great Ones waiting? Silence! Josh is right. Surely the Watchers won't wait forever. I pray for the Great One's forbearance. It will demonstrate your worthiness if you can figure this out yourselves. But yes, we must not keep them waiting. He opened his palm to Dr. Kaleo. She nodded and put Bruce into his hand. Bruce sniffed at him, then sat up on his haunches and rubbed his whiskers, as if wanting to get rid of the smell. Dr. Gregori closed his large hand around Bruce so only his head protruded. The rat's eyes bulged. Think faster. It has something to do with the Tower of Babel, the one you've reconstructed in the Burj Khalifa. Go on. You're going to broadcast something from there. I gulped and raised my hands to my mouth before I could stop myself. The pieces were coming into place like a giant puzzle— A giant, three-dimensional, architectural jigsaw puzzle. I stuffed my hands into my pockets and breathed in deeply before I spoke. Trying to stay calm, the mix of moss and sulfur scents made me gag a little. The tower, that's what the tower is for. And, And Zia, that's what Zia is for. That's why you have her. Discord. All that time you wasted thinking of yourself as inferior. You had the power to reason all along. Perhaps you just preferred to think of yourself as incapable. Laziness. Fortunately, you have the opportunity to repent of that now. A second chance. You love second chances, do you not? You're going to broadcast Zia's voice, but turn its beauty 
to Discord. You're going to broadcast a horrible noise using the Tower of Babel and the Burj Khalifa as the transmitter. The noise will disrupt all radio and broadcast communications, interrupt cell phone service, Wi-Fi. You'll cause chaos. For precisely six hours. Exactly the period of time we need to distract the rest of the world from what we are actually interested in accomplishing while everyone panics. Meanwhile, with all eyes or ears focused on Dubai and the aftermath of disharmony, we go into the volcano and free the watchers. But you don't think it's going to take us six hours to accomplish that, do you? Of course not. We have no interest in being here that long. We are, however, convinced that six hours will prevent any military response once people become aware of the Watcher's release. But there's still the problem of getting through the rock to get to the Watcher's. Cavitation. The Watcher's are in a rock chamber surrounded by ice, and you want to use cavitation to break through. You're going to use sound waves through the ice to pulverize the rock and let them out of the chamber. Very good, Delani. But if the sound waves you broadcast are that strong, strong enough to affect the thick ice layer all the way over here, are they also powerful enough to destroy everything surrounded by water in any form? You could start tsunamis on every coast in the world. And then what will you have? You, or the watchers, will have nothing to rule over. No one to take revenge on. You'll preside over ruins. Just when you were showing such promise. Josh, can you help? You won't destroy everything. You will focus some of the sound. You'll harness some of Zia's noise and aim it here. Am I right? Well done. You'll need some help. We have been waiting centuries for this moment. We have been trapped. The peerless have had to act as if we have less angelic blood than we do, pass for merely even, although we can never truly pass as inferior. An army of peerless is ready to unfurl their glorious wings at my command. They will take to the skies and use their wings to direct some of the sound waves here. The rocky chamber will be opened. Josh and Kaya could have joined us if your beloved spree rescuers had not deformed you with that terrible surgery. Your wings could have been your glory had you not been butchered by those spree barbarians. Josh and I are peerless? Imbeciles, you are not peerless. But your particular genetic makeup gave you one of our most exquisite features, lost through mutilation. I thought about Xanthi's portrait and ashes and how they had been removed from the bell tower, Some of us get very close to Peerless, though, don't we? You thought Xanthi was one of you. You gathered her ashes. You hung her portrait. Then you discovered she wasn't pure enough. She had passed for one of you, and you couldn't stand it. Dr. Gregory's eyes flashed. I caught a whiff of charcoal and burnt toast. Anger. He took a deep breath and regained his composure. I assure you, we would have set her to different tasks had we exposed her earlier. There's a flaw in your plan. The cavitation could activate the volcano. The magma will liquefy, the glacier will melt. The watchers and we and you and everyone within a hundred mile radius will suffocate or drown. Impressive. Say more. 
drowning's the real danger, isn't it? That's why none of us likes water. Why some of us, like Kaya, are positively afraid of it. Angels can't survive in water. They were never meant to inhabit watery realms. And the watchers are still chained. Even if their stone cavern is blasted open, they're still in chains. Unbreakable chains that will keep them from escape. Water will pour into the cavern around them and they will face the most terrifying death they can imagine. Judgment Day will come early for them and you will have brought it on. In the cosmic scheme of things, your extinction will be justified as well, even by the Watcher's standards. You think they would forgive you for that? The other peerless would fly away, leave you for dead, and they, not you would be the most powerful beings in the world. No peerless can last forever. Even with our antimony mining and harvesting of Eliud, Eliud blood is becoming too feeble, watered down through further intermixing with merelies. I hate the smell of Eliud blood, but sometimes it is unavoidable. His nose wrinkled in disgust as he said this, and I got hot with rage. I tried to stay calm. And how does releasing the Watchers help you survive? How do they make up for your feeble Elliot blood? Why, the Watchers will create more peerless, of course. And this time, we can be selective in breeding and concern ourselves exclusively with the only legitimate use for Elliot, our preservation. This is why the Watchers must be released and the timing of the cavitation of the rock and their release from the chains must be impeccable. Why do you think Zia will help you? She's a strong person. She would go through hell to keep you from hurting anyone else. We know her. You love her, and she loves you, and that is why she will help. She knows we will kill you if she does not. She would do anything if she thought it would save your life. Love is a terrible motivator, so useless in the end. He raised Bruce up in front of us, and then clamped his other hand over Bruce's head. No! Dr. Gregory opened his hand. Bruce lay lifeless, his neck at too sharp an angle to his little body. Delani flew at Dr. Gregory and started pounding his chest. Dr. Gregory calmly dropped Bruce to the rock floor then grabbed Delani by her raised fists. Anger is another matter. Anger is a powerful and effective motivator. He folded her arms down behind her and spun her around so she faced us. What would you do out of anger? You have seen that Delani would attack me because I killed a rat, an animal most humans would rather see dead. What would you do if any of you did something that caused pain to one of you? For instance, what if Delani had given information that had sent some of your friends in the program home early? Well, as you know, not home. We needed something to call it, and extraction or extinction would have caused alarm. What are you talking about? What would you do if you found out it was Delani who chose you to stay and others to leave? What would you do if you knew we left many of the choices up to her? The good news is you mean something to her. She chose you. The bad news is she did not choose people you grew close to, people you cared about. 
I didn't know. I just thought I got to pick my friends. I didn't know what would happen to the others. I didn't know. You have to believe me. Rachel charged at Delani. Josh and I pulled her back. She didn't know. She thought she was doing the right thing. Rachel relaxed and dropped her head to her chest. She sniffled. I let go of Rachel and scooped up Bruce. I rubbed his head. I'm so sorry, Delani. Me too. So very sorry. Here. Neith took a folded handkerchief out of his pocket and reached out for Bruce. He wrapped the dead rat in the white cloth. I know why you Gregories need us, or me at least. I'm the only one who can help you with the final piece. The universal language, right? That's the only thing that will break the chains that bind the Watchers. That's why you collected votives and put them in the reconstructed tower to hear the sounds. That's why you collected manuscripts and looked for the Book of Noah. That's why you killed to get it translated. At last. I was beginning to think we would need all six hours. Of course it is the language. You thought about using the antimony acid, fluoroantimonic acid. I found the cylinder in the lab, but it's just not strong enough. It can't break the chains. Only the power of the spoken word can do it, saying exactly the right word, exactly the right way. And what is the word? The word Jesus said when he released the demons from the Gerasene demoniac. Jesus said the word that releases demons. It doesn't matter what they're bound by, a person, a chain. What matters is the word and saying it just the right way. And I'm the only one perfectly formed or deformed, like you would say. You can say the right word perfectly, just like a human would say it. A human living at the time of Jesus. And if I refuse? The tower is ready. Zia is prepared. The peerless are ready to take flight. With or without you, the cavitation happens. The magma explodes. The rock crumbles. The glacier melts. If you do not release the watchers, we all die. For nothing. Or maybe your for nothing saves the world, at least for now. It all depends on how you look at it, right? Isn't that one of your precious lessons? Neith will do it, and soon, at precisely the right time. He can say the word, even from here, and it will be enough. The chains will be broken, the rock will be opened, the watchers will be freed. We will be taken up with them, and their gratitude for your cooperation will bring you glory as well. Why choose death and oblivion when you can have glory? As a reward, Neith, your friends can leave right now. The snowmobiles will come here to pick them up by the time they reach the top of the ladder. They will have enough time to make it far enough away to survive the volcano's eruption. I am sure the Great Ones will be merciful at their judgment, in recognition for the roles they have played in the release. I'll do it, but my friends are staying here, with me. We looked at one another. My first thought was, thanks, but no thanks. I would be happy to hop on a snowmobile and get as far away from here as possible. The choice is theirs. If they are willing to stay and watch, so be it. Okay, yes. Never alone. Stronger together. And we knew he had a plan. Oh, and one more thing. 
Guarantee that the spree sanctuary by the top of the crater is empty. You already know it is empty. You wouldn't waste Elliot blood, just in case your plan to release the Watchers failed, or you need more time. Or fresh recruits for the GYSP. Any more requests? We have only ten minutes before the fullness of time. Yes. We need to be with the Watchers in the chamber. You were mistaken when you said it would work from up here. The acoustics wouldn't be right, and it won't work. Isn't that right, Josh? Josh nodded, although the look on his face showed he had no idea what Neath was up to. That is impossible. We know there is a tiny fissure in the wall of the cavern through which the sound of the Great Ones is heard, but there is no time to find it in order for you to get in. Bruce could have found it. Yes, if only we had Bruce to think Dr. Gregory is to blame for our not being able to carry out the plan after all. Dr. Gregory looked stricken. A hiss rose from beneath our feet. Dr. Gregory looked down at the floor in alarm. Had the watchers heard? He went pale. Neath looked at the shrouded rat in his hands. If only there was something we could do. When you're so close to getting the one thing in the world that you want and what stands between achieving glory and bliss and utter blame and disaster is a dead rat. I really don't know what to say at a time like this. Try this. Dr. Gregory screamed and then made a sound like wind blowing through pine needles. A breath, then a rattle, just enough to set a branch chattering and to cause a loose cone to drop. He doubled over after doing it and rested his hands on his knees while he panted. No, that's not quite it. I'm sure you're close, but you'll never have it quite right. Please. No. It's not your own word to say, so you can't do it. Only angels have the power to say it correctly. Angels of goodness. Kaya? But I'm not... No, you're not. But the conditions in here are just right, if you choose. And I suddenly knew what he was talking about. I could choose to make contact. To use the anamnesis Dr. Gregory said was one of my gifts to make an angel present, to open myself to the possibility of an angel speaking through me, maybe even my guardian angel, through a waking dream. I let every other sound fall away. I listened to the beating of my own heart. I let the drip, drip, drip of the water running down the wall be my focus, and my heart got in sync. I sought and found that scent of cleanness and purity and let it fill me. I fell backwards into warm, comfortable darkness. I closed my eyes and felt filled with light. Light that I knew came from an archangel, Raphael the healer. He spoke the word. It sounded like wind over water, just enough wind to make a starling's flight rise to cause it to wheel and double back in delight. A feeling of awe, then deep peace washed over me. I blinked my eyes open. Bruce stirred, whiskers first, then sat up. The word of life. The angels know it because they were there when the author of life spoke it over the void. They aren't allowed to speak it often, and the power isn't in the speaker. 
unless the speaker is the creator of life. No wonder the Gregories can't get it quite right. Delani laughed in delight. Neith extended Bruce on the handkerchief toward her, like Bruce was riding a little rat chariot. She took it and lowered it to the ground. Go on. Bruce took off. Rachel grabbed a lamp from the wall and we followed, leaving Dr. Gregori and Dr. Kaleo at the base of the ladder. I looked back and saw Dr. Kaleo check her watch. Bruce led us down a passageway that got narrower and darker. Soon we were on our hands and knees. I hoped Bruce hadn't just decided to save his own ratty skin. It was getting very hard to see with just one little lamp. The smell of stinkweed and match heads was making my eyes water and my breath come out in hiccups. We must be in a vent that's become mostly sealed up. That would explain the texture and smell. I'm sure steam used to shoot out of here prior to previous eruptions. What's the plan, Neve? You're not actually going to release them. Of course not. Rachel, tell them. I saw you siphon the gas before the snowmobiles left. She smiled and pulled a flask from her jacket pocket. What's that for? It's risky, but we need to make the volcano explode before the cavitation starts and we lose our advantage. Sorry, but... I can't see any advantage to being in a volcano when it explodes, whether it happens now or a little while from now. We want to make the volcano erupt before they're expecting it. Beat them to it so we have a time advantage. Catch them off guard. When the volcano erupts, it will cause a major flood of glacial ice melt. I definitely can't see any advantage over the Gregory plan. The water will stream into the chamber where we and the Watchers will be. They only get saved if Neith releases them with the word. If they're still bound, they drown. And us? We will be fine, right, Neith? We will. I learned more than one word from the Gregories. We need to get busy activating that volcano. Cavitation isn't the only way. We can also use a major source of heat. Get it close enough to the core, and it will settle for reaction. The volcano will do the rest. Greek fire. But where do we get Greek fire? Gasoline? Check. Sodium nitrate? Active ingredient in Neith's asthma medication? Thank you, Neith. No problem. Check. And antimony. Hand it over. We emptied our stashes into Rachel's open palm. The watcher's chamber is right above the core. I'll make the fire when we're in their chamber. It won't take much. We have to get moving now, only five minutes before the cavitation begins. We turned a corner and saw a blaze of light. It was emanating from a crack where the floor met the wall of the tunnel. We crawled faster and found the hole. Dazzling light shone through it. Neith was closest and covered his eyes. It's too bright. I can't see. Don't use your eyes. Use your nose. I had closed my eyes and for the first time could smell something other than the guts of the volcano. It was the most intense combination of beauty and ugliness I had ever encountered. Rose petals and vomit, peach blossoms and rotting meat, 
fresh rainfall, and roadkill, baby's forehead and feces, hope and fear. I could smell the source of the light, so I didn't have to see it. But I felt something run over my hands and opened my eyes. It was Bruce heading the other direction. I scooped him up and put him in my pocket. You're sticking with us. I can't smell anything. I don't know what you're talking about. I looked toward the light and was surprised that, although it was dazzling, I could see it. Delani, Josh, and Rachel were fine, too. We must have enough of the golden reflector in our eyes. That extra layer on our retina? Neith doesn't have it, or enough of it. Let me go ahead of you, Neith. I'll guide you in. You can keep your eyes closed. He squished himself as close to the wall as possible, and I squeezed past. The light coming through the hole was intense, and the sound grew louder the closer I came. It sounded like crystals shattering, but in different notes, like the keys on a piano were made of glass and that pressing a key caused it to break, but thousands at a time, and each breaking glass caused a color to release. The hole was just large enough to let us squeeze through. Anyone with shoulders broader than Josh's would get stuck. I put my feet in first, put my arms as close to my sides as possible, and shimmied through. The light felt thick around me, like I had jumped into cloud vapor. I moved away from the hole and guided me through, then Josh, then Delani, I looked around, expecting to see the watchers, but couldn't. They must be farther away or hidden somehow. I looked at Delani. Her eyes were completely golden. Josh's, too. Weird. I know. It looks freakish, but it must be how we can keep our eyes open and see with all the light. Where are they? They're here but we can't see them. It would be too much for us to take, even with our extra retinal protection. They would have to transmute into another form to allow us to see them. Will you do that? You We're here to help. Are we? I still don't understand the plan. You need us. You need me, my voice, the word, and my voice to say it. I demand you show yourselves. In a way I can see, too. Better hurry. They may be immortal, but our time is running out. There's two if the volcano blows before we're ready. The vaporous light dissipated, and the chamber became dimmer. Soft light in all the colors of the rainbow sparkled and twinkled. I watched as Neith uncovered his eyes. Then I followed his gaze. Nine children huddled against the wall. They were barefoot and clothed with rags. Heavy shackles weighed down their arms. They scratched at their skinny arms and their chains clanked. Their eyes were in shadow with deep circles underneath. Their dark hair hung in dirty clumps. I could see their distended bellies push against their filthy robes. 
Don't fall for it. They want us to pity them. This is their guise to manipulate us. They don't trust that manipulation isn't necessary to receive help. I looked hard at Neith. There was no way Neith really wanted to let them go. Zia is warming up. The broadcast is starting from the Burj Khalifa. Decision time. Please, 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 so, so. Show yourselves as you would appear if you and we were free, quickly. The smallest, evidently the leader, raised his arms. The shackles and chains remained, but their bodies grew in stature, fourteen, fifteen feet high, their musculature immense and firm, their eyes large and sparkling with light. The filthy rags disappeared and were replaced by resplendent light robes. Wings appeared, folded against their backs, the edges, tops, and tips visible. Myriad eyes blinked from iridescent bands in the full spectrum of the rainbow. Their hair and skin shone. The leader, now the tallest, spoke, but as he opened his mouth, his tongue, like a serpent's, first licked his lips. Now, release us, and we will still have mercy on you. Do it now. Josh, tell me when. I looked at Josh. He must be able to hear for the rest of us the sound waves strengthening, beginning to reverberate back toward the Burj Khalifa. Soon they would start to affect the glacial ice. Josh nodded to Rachel, who squatted on the floor, covering something with her jacket. I could smell gas fumes. She gave Josh a thumbs up. It's time. Neith spoke first to us. Do not be afraid. We are never alone. The water is the water of life. Take shelter under their wings. Trust the power of the word and do not be afraid. Kaya, you have to say the word. No human can say it properly. It has only been used by the Almighty and the angels. He spoke a syllable, but nothing happened. I took the word Neith had uttered, listened to it reverberate through my body. Then I opened my mouth. The sound that came forth was the sound of a mother's breathing a lullaby over her baby, a bird enveloping its young, a father lifting his newborn, the release of air from a cloud as the rain ends and the molecules of moisture refract light into a rainbow. We ran to take cover under the watcher's wings when the explosion cracked open the world around us. The waters rushed in, and everything went black. I saw my adoptive parents reaching down to me through warm turquoise water. Light streamed down in shafts from above, and the water turned all the greens and blues of the universe. They smiled. Their reach was a greeting, not an attempt to own or even guide, an acknowledgement, pride, knowing, peace. They withdrew, the colors deepened, the shafts of light twinkled, then diminished, then disappeared. I wasn't afraid. I was ready for whatever came next. I inhaled deeply to greet the next moment. 
The sound of laughter and small crystalline bells surrounded me and lifted me. My own heartbeat sounded like joy. The cold shocked me into panting, straining to get my breath. She's all right. I could make out the sounds of rumbling thunder and whizzing rockets overhead, and water below, underneath the hard plank I was lying on, slapping against the side of something. A boat. I was on a boat. The smell of salt water and rotten eggs filled my nostrils. I coughed. She's fine. That makes five. I don't see anyone else. I turned my head and coughed again. I saw Josh smiling back at me. I returned the smile and looked to the other side. Delani was there, her eyes closed, but she was breathing. I could see her chest rise and fall. Neith? Here. I'm here. Rachel? Yes. I'm... I'm all right. I want to sit up. Save your strength. We've got a bit of a trip until we get out of the volcano's flood zone. Rest until we get back to shore. Then you can tell us all about your adventures. We want to hear how you happen to be in one of the volcano's branch pipes. The only way you could have been blasted out by flood water rather than fire. You could not be luckier with your timing. We had just experienced a break in all communications. When the volcano erupted, suddenly communications were restored. I smiled. Zia knew. Somehow, she knew she could stop. I thought I heard a rat squeak as I shut my eyes and fell back to sleep. The crew from the rescue ship had left us in a room in the hospital in Reykjavik. A doctor was due to come in, so we spoke quickly. What was the word? It wasn't the word of release, was it? No, they should still be chained, and it's possible they drowned. I do know the release word. It was the one word Eater drilled me on that he could hardly stand. It must mean be free, be released, or something like that. But the Watchers can't stand the thought of actual freedom. Their own freedom of movement being released from the chains, yes. But actual true freedom, they can't. But wasn't their whole thing about exerting their free will? Choosing not to do what they were made for and choosing their own path instead? That's the thing. They refuse to believe the freest free is found in doing precisely what you were made for. Trusting that the Creator got it right and choosing to follow your purpose. So, what word did you say? A word of restraint. What? The word that restrains the waters. God used it at creation to separate the waters from the waters, making the oceans from some, and storing waters above the sky, at least the way the myth describes it. God used it again when Moses and the Israelites crossed the Red Sea on dry land. God spoke to the waters and made them stand still until the Israelites got through safely. But how did you know it? Neith knew it, but is too human to be able to pronounce it. It was on the list from the Gregories, from the book of Noah, right? Yeah, Noah had heard it, 
he heard it breathed over the waters when finally the rain stopped. It had to have been one of the words the Grigoris drilled me on. I chose the one that sounded like the opposite of release and hoped it meant restraint. Kaya could say it perfectly. Under the watcher's wings and with the word restraining the floodwater around us, a pocket of air would be formed, and as long as we held on to one another, I thought we had a chance. I knew we were still in for a watery ride, but that we might survive. The blast caused by Rachel's Greek fire would be strong enough to get us to sea and away from the explosions, as long as the watchers didn't grab onto us to try to protect us. Which, of course, they didn't do because they were thinking of themselves. And they were depending on the strength of their wings to protect them through the blast. Then they would just fly away when released. Angel's wings have the same cellular structure as the mantis shrimp. That was the other thing the Gregories wanted me to compare. They wanted to make sure the wings of the Watchers could withstand the blast. Then the Watchers must have drowned. They weren't protected by the way they restrained the water from around us. The restraint of the water went out of the volcano with us and left them there for the water and lava to do their work. They may have survived. Enoch said they are supposed to remain captive until the Great Judgment. The important thing is, they didn't get released. So, what happened to Dr. Kaleo and Dr. Grigori? Dead, maybe. They didn't get into the chamber with us, and they weren't expecting the volcanic eruption when it came. So, they would still have been in the path of the volcano's explosion. No watchers flew out to shelter them. Depends if their army of other peerless showed up a little early to help them. The others looked relieved, but I knew there was no way Dr. Grigori wouldn't have an escape plan for himself. You're all able to talk. This is a good sign. You look well enough that we can start with some basic information, like your names, ages, and country of origin. And then we'll get on to what you were doing in a volcano that wasn't supposed to exist. She smiled. Her eyes lit up, and I thought I saw a flash of Elliot gold in them. Then we'll take a tour. There's a sanctuary you will be interested in seeing. Some children there want to meet you. I wanted to meet the Elliot children. Others like me, like us. I wanted to assure them we were all safe now. But I knew the assurance wouldn't be real until we knew for sure that the Watchers were dead. The others would have to go rescue Kieran and the rest in Dubai. I needed to go back to the Div School for one final encounter with Dr. Grigori. Okay, Kaya. I believe you. Uh, We have to get you out of here. Let me just do this one thing. Um... Put these things together. Uh, Here, trust me. This is my best idea for how to keep you safe. Okay, it's my only idea. Let's just pray it works. Okay, let's go. Uh, Thank you, officer. I'm taking Kaya with me. Um, Please just do me this one favor. Can you upload what's on this flash drive? Sure. Happy to help. I'll take care of that right now. Great. Thanks. Bye. 
Okay, let's see what we've got here. No one ever asks for a chaplain here. A lawyer? Sure. A priest? Never. I mean, no offense, Rev. Oh, uh, none taken. Um, maybe she wants to confess? The kid's not even under arrest. Although the officer did find stolen property on her, some kind of black stone knife that belongs to the museum. This is Allie Daniels. Thank you for listening to Antimony. This podcast was written by Amy Richter and is based on the novel Antimony, published by Whipfenstock. Copyright 2019. The novel is available at whipfenstock.com, amazon.com, and other online booksellers. Music was composed and arranged by Pan Conrad. You've been listening to the voices of the Silver Linings Players, a group of volunteers from all over the world who came together virtually during the COVID-19 pandemic to record this podcast for you. Episode 16 featured, in order of appearance, Emmett Pro Richter as Neith, David Merrill as Josh, Lydia Brower as Kaya, Josiah Dykstra as Dr. Gregory, Jenny Ovenstone-Smith as Dr. Kaleo, Catherine Hilton as Delani, Rachel Hunter as Rachel, George McLaughlin as Shemihaza, Pan Conrad as Michael, Amy Richter as Gabriel, Ron Day as the boat captain, Jennifer Day as the doctor, and Seth Jason as front desk officer. This is Amy Richter. Thank you so much for listening to Antimony. I really hope you enjoyed it. Thanks also so much to all the friends and family members and new friends who helped to record all of the voices for this podcast. Thanks so much also to Pan Conrad for composing the theme music, arranging music, providing sound effects, and doing the sound effects for this last episode. I am so grateful. Be well, stay well, and may all the angels watching over you be good ones. (laughs) 